was thinking about when I was in uh, fifth grade. This was before cell phones were around. And uh, I remember this, this thing happened every year in the small town I grew up in in Murray, Kentucky, that the fair would come to town. And did any of you guys like grow up in small towns like this, the fair would come to town? A couple of you, the rest of you, you just missed out on life. Um, and so, you know, the fair would come to town. And I remember this year was, um, was, was special because it was the first year that my mom was letting me and my friends grow, go unsupervised. And so it was, you know, it was a big deal. We're in fifth grade. And, uh, and so I remember my mom just kind of laying out the night, hey, you know, I'm going to be super generous here. I'm going to let you, you know, stay out till 10 o'clock. I want you to meet me back here at the car at 10 o'clock. And as a fifth grader, 10 o'clock, oh, that's super late. Like, I go to bed before 10 o'clock now. Like, looking back, I'm like, what are you thinking, Mom? But um, 10 o'clock, meet me back here at the car. And so I remember we were at the fair, you know, doing all the things that, that kids do at the fair, riding as many fast rides as you can, you know, just eating as much, you know, junk food as you possibly can. And so I remember, like, specifically, like, looking at my, my watch, it was like 9.55, and me and my friend Greg had a decision to make. I'm like, are we gonna head back? Like, are we gonna do what my mom asked? Or are we gonna like, you know, keep having fun? And we just like, you know, he was really swaying me, but I made the choice. I'm like, let's keep going. And, and so, you know, for the next hour, we just got lost riding rides. And, and I, what did you react like that for? Like, <laughs> And, uh, you know, so, so I get back to the car, you know, I'm walking back and, you know, me and my friend Greg are talking and laughing about how much fun we had. And I see my mom and her arms are crossed and she looks at me and she said, like, I'll never forget this look on her face. Where have you been? And, you know, we're just having a fun time. I'm like, what do you mean? We're having a fair. She's like, get in the car. And, okay. And so we get in the car and, you know, I, I'd get in the very back seat. I'm trying to get as far from her as possible, you know. And, and so we're sitting in the car. She doesn't talk to me the whole ride home that I'm, I'm taking. We're dropping my friend off at his house. And then when finally we drop him off, she just starts to like, you know, not unload on me, but, but she really just wants me to understand like what's going on in her heart. And so she starts to, to just say, you know, I, at first I was just, you know, scared, like I had no idea where you were. You know, you're this 12-year-old boy, and you didn't think anything could happen to you. She's like, but you got to understand from my context, I'm sitting here in the car, you know, up until this point, like every time I asked you to do so, every time I trusted you, you would show up. And, and the five minutes go by, and I'm like, okay, he's going to come. Ten minutes go by. 15. She's like, you don't understand the, the worry that started to set in my heart as I start to think about all the things that could have happened to you. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. And then she starts to express her, her, angry, her anger and frustration. You know, it's like, you know, you, know you, you didn't listen to me. And I took a real chance to let you stay up later. And I, and I gave you some freedom and, 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 and you took advantage of it. And you did what you wanted and you, and you didn't show me respect and you didn't listen to me. And, and my mom was like, I can't ever remember seeing her so angry. And that moment stuck with me. The, the first time I really saw my mom angry. And, and I think it's because it was in her anger that I, I really started to understand the depth of her love for me. You, you see, I, I realized how much my, my real choices affected her. You know, it's not from, from that point forward that, that I did everything right again, that I never made her angry again. You know, fast forward uh, several years later, my, my junior year of high school, I had a group of friends 
And we would dress up for, and Keela can attest to this, we would dress up for every single basketball game. We'd have different themes every week. And so one week we were going to be Eminem, not the candy, the rapper. And so we were all in. And so I told my mom, hey, I'm dyeing my hair white. Like I'm going all in with this. And she, you know, she was not happy. She didn't go to church the next morning. She was so like upset. And so it's not that this moment in fifth grade, like I, I never made her angry again, but I started to learn something that day for the first time, that, that her anger anger towards me was actually a sign of her affection. You know, for the past six weeks, we've been looking at this one passage of scripture in Exodus chapter 34, verses six and seven, where, where God, I, I really believe in this incredibly beautiful and significant moment, this, this moment of, of vulnerability. He, he lets us in on who he is. And, and it's easy to miss that as we're, as we're reading the scripture, but, but you think about this. Like, guys, we don't let people in on who we are quickly, right? Like, it, it takes time. It takes trust. Just think about how long it takes to let others in on the real you. And I don't want us to miss this because, because our God is, is a being. Our God is a, a person. God is not an idea. God is not a construct of our imagination. And so last week we talked about how God, whose, whose name is Yahweh, lets us in on who he is. And, and he starts out and he says, Yahweh, the, the compassionate and gracious God. And that word compassionate, it's, if you look at the, the etymology in the Hebrew, it, it, it's, it, it comes from the idea of, of a mother's feeling that she has towards her infant child. So you think about the way a, a mom feels about her infant, her infant child. Man, there's deep delight and love and enjoyment. And go, God's wanting us to understand that when he looks at us, he looks at us the way that a mom looks at her infant child. He says, Yahweh, the, the compassionate and gracious God. And he goes on, the very next thing that, that Yahweh discloses about who he is is he says that he is slow to anger. And that's where we're going to camp out this morning. Yahweh is slow to anger. You know, many of us, we have this view that, that God is quick-tempered, that God's easily angered at us. You know, how many of us, if I were to ask you to raise your hand, you, you really believe that, that you're in a good place with God, that, that he's happy with you when, you know, like when you're serving Ethos kids, or, or when you're showing up to house church, or, or when you get coffee with somebody and, and, you're, and you're really listening, or man, you're just, you're really diving into this Jackie Hill Perry podcast where you're just like going deep, trying to, like how many of us, you, you really believe that, that God is good with you when you're doing good? But what about when those days that you're really selfish and self-centered? You don't really want to engage in the scripture. You don't really want to pray. You don't really want to go to house church. And how many of you, man, when, what you realize is that, that when you're doing really well, you believe God's for you. And then whenever you get off, you just believe that God's disposition has completely changed towards you. It, it, it's like you, you believe in one moment, there's, you're the apple of his eye. And the next moment, he's completely done with you, that, that your name's been erased from the book of life, that, that he's taken his Holy Spirit from you. And, and, and I go, man, think about this. Is this how, how you view God? We, we actually believe, some of us believe the opposite. Though Yahweh says that he's slow to anger, a lot of us live with this belief that, that our, our God is quick to anger. Others of us, I mean, we have this view that, that Yahweh, that, that nothing we do could ever upset him. 
Maybe this is the way that some of you view, view God. You know, I had friends growing up, and, and their parents were, were more their friends than they were their parents. And maybe you had some friends like this growing up, where, where they could do no wrong in their parents' eyes. They could, they could mess around, sleep with whoever they wanted to sleep with. They could drink as much as, as they wanted, as long as, you know, as they were being smart about it. That, that they, could, they could talk back to their parents. They could do whatever it is they, they wanted, that they could do no wrong in their parents' eyes. And some of us have this view of God. And, and different things form the, the way that we understand and view God. The way that we were raised plays into this. Um, the specific stories in scripture that we, that we read and give extra weight to, but also the stories that, that we disregard and don't give weight to in scripture. Um, other people's experiences and, 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 and their tellings of what God is like, our own personal feelings, all of these things factor into the way that we view God. And today, what I want us to look at is the scripture, the way that, that God reveals himself to us and for, for us to receive God as he is. And so today, you know, we don't have a, 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 the ability to do a comprehensive teaching on God being slow to anger all throughout the whole Bible. You know, that would take hours, it would take days for us to do that. But what I wanna do is, is just look at this one story in, in the Gospel of John about Jesus. And the reason that we're doing this is I'm really leaning into to Hebrews chapter one, where it says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, meaning that, that Jesus isn't like the, the good version of God, like the, the New Testament, happy, you know, do no wrong. And, and the father is, is like the, the one who's out to get you. No, what, what, what Hebrews one, what I'm leaning into this morning is that Jesus is the full expression of the father, that if you want to know what the father is like, just look at Jesus' life. And so we're leaning into Hebrews one and we're leaning into Hebrews chapter 12, where it says that Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. And so instead of doing a comprehensive study on how do we see God being slow to anger. We're just going to look at this one story, knowing that it's not perfect, but it's going to give us a really clear understanding of God's heart disposition towards us. I love the way that, that Yahweh describes himself, that he is slow to anger. I think it's important for us to hear that, 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 that Yahweh does get angry. And some of us, that makes us really uncomfortable, but I want you to think about this. Do you, do you really want to be in a relationship with and, and serve and spend the rest of eternity with a God that is indifferent? Um, indifferent to injustice? Um, indifferent to, to, to human trafficking? Um, indifferent to violence? Do you, do you want to be in a relationship with a God who, who looks at the things that are off in our world and just goes, ah, it doesn't really matter? You see, the, the picture that we see in God is, is a, a, a being who has feelings, who is deeply moved, who sometimes is stirred to this place of anger. And I go, man, do, do, we, really, do we really want a God that doesn't get angry? A God that answers to us. A God that is tame. And I go, some days we want that because we want to be in control. But if we're being honest with ourselves, we've tried to be our own authority. And how does it work in life when we try to be our own authority? And what we realize is that, is that we have mixed motives, that you and I are inconsistent, that we stumble. And the thing about God is he doesn't do any of those things, that our anger, that usually our, our anger rises when, when we feel like we've been wronged. 
Man, when we feel like someone has stepped on us and the anger of God is pure and righteous. And so this morning, what I want us to do is to look at the story in John 2 and to go, man, what does it look like for God to be slow to anger? So picking up in verse 14, it says, in the temple courts, Jesus found people selling cattle, sheep and doves and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and he drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle, and he scattered the coins and the money changers and he overturned their tables. And to those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. <clears throat> you know, upon first reading of this story, it might seem that that Jesus is actually quick to anger, right? We read this and it's like, wait, Brandon, do you realize that you're talking about God being slow to anger? Like, why did you cho choose this story? And, and, and I want us to realize though that, that, that this is the same temple that Jesus had, had been coming to every year since he was a baby. And so what this means is that this buying and selling was, was not new to him. It wasn't like Jesus showed up to the temple and all of a sudden this new thing had happened and, and Jesus just loses his lid and starts turning over tables and making this whip. And no, it's, it's interesting that, that Jesus had been there since he was a baby. 33 years of seeing this. Talk about patience. It's interesting that, that there are only a couple of times in scripture where Jesus visibly displays anger and frustration. And I was just thinking about, you know, Jesus doesn't express anger when he spit in the face. You know, he's on the cross dying. People literally come by and spit on him. Have you ever had someone spit in your face? You know, we had a, we had a foster kid a couple years ago and he spit in, in, in Courtney's face. Courtney just walked away. She's like, you got to take care of this. I go, man, when, there, there's nothing it's, it's humiliating. Amen, Chip or Deacon. That's right. You know, there's, there's nothing more humiliating than when someone spits in your face and that happens to Jesus, doesn't get angry. Or have you ever been betrayed by someone? You know, the night before Jesus is crucified, he's sitting at this table and, and he knows that Judas is going to, he, he already has and he's going to, to betray him. You ever been betrayed by somebody? I remember dating this girl in high school and, 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 and coming to understand that she was also dating this other person? I go, man, when, when you've been betrayed, this, this anger, and you see this in Jesus, doesn't make him angry. But yet, here in the temple, Jesus loses his lid. Why, why is he angry? What is going on here? Jesus shows up, and, and he's turning over the tables. And, 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 and I want to suggest that what, what, what's going on here, why he's angry, is that Jesus looks. He looks at the landscape. He looks at the people. He looks at all that's going on, and he realizes that the temple had lost the purity of its purpose. What did Jesus call the temple in John 2? What did he say about it? Say it out loud. What did he call it? What does it say? In verse 16, I'm just asking you. Just, what does he say? What does Jesus call it? My father's house. You know, think about that. And, and, and some of you, you don't, you don't have safe dads. You didn't grow up in a home where your dad is safe. And so this, this picture of the father's house is not a comforting one to you. But, 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 but what Jesus is trying to evoke here is, is that the heavenly father, that, that, that the home, the, the father's house, like I think about I'm going home for Thanksgiving in a couple weeks to be with my family. The, the father's house that he's getting out, the, the, that he intends, it's a place of connection. 
The, the Father's house is a place of, of relationship. I'm going to go home and I'm going to sit on my couch and I'm going to enjoy my, my parents. It's a place of, of protection. It's a place of rejuvenation. You see, when Jesus is talking about the Father's house, he's wanting us to understand that this is a place that is safe. The book of Mark, he calls it a house of prayer for all nations. You see, the temple was a place where, where you encountered God. And it wasn't the only place. You go and you read the Old Testament and you see that God appears and shows up to people in all different ways, but the temple was special. It was a place that you went to worship God with other people. It was a place that you went to be filled by God. The place that you went to be made right with God. The place that you went to enjoy God. And, and Jesus looks at this, the landscape and all that's unfolding and he realizes that, that it had become something less. Yeah, there were aspects of this, but it had become diluted. It had lost the purity of its purpose. And we know this because Jesus, it says that he, he drives out the animals. Now, let me give us some context for this. And some of you might know this. I didn't know this until this week when I started to read. Deacon loves it, man. I love it, Deacon. Thank you. He's into it. You know, you'd come to the temple, in, which the temple was in Jerusalem. The temple was this massive structure. So you had synagogues that were kind of built and in, in, constructed in people's hometowns, at places that they could go and worship. But a couple of times a year, everyone would go to temple. They would make the, the trip to Jerusalem. And it was a place that, in, in Jerusalem where the altar was. The altar was a place that, that you would bring animals and you would sacrifice them. And it was a way that, that you were made right with God, that your sins were atoned for, that, that an animal would literally die. And it was this reminder that something had to die because of your sin. And, and, and that seems so foreign to us. That seems so like, you know, inhumane and, and, and we're such pet people today. We can't even fathom it, but it was a part of their world and their culture that, that something had to die in order for you to be right with God. And they understood that. And so they would make the, the trek to temple and, and some of them would travel a long way. You know, they would make, it, it took them days to get to Jerusalem. And so they're not going to just bring sheep and goats with them to, to sacrifice. And so what they would do is they would get to the temple and they would purchase them. You see, you couldn't appear at the temple, that, that you couldn't be made right without, with God without the sacrifice. And so they would come to the temple and they would buy these. And the problem is that, that, pe that, 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 that they were being overpriced, that, that the, the, the people who were selling them knew. They took advantage of good-hearted people who knew the law, who wanted to be right with God. So they're, they're charging them exorbitant amounts of money, but it's not just the, the animals. It was the money changers. And so every year you'd go to the temple and you would pay a temple tax. Every person paid the temple tax. It was a way of, of, of making sure that the temple could keep functioning. And so, you know, but they, they, only they would only receive a temple tax from, from one specific currency. And so you think about this, like if you've ever been to a different country, you can't just use your American dollars in any country, right? One of the very first things that you do when you move into, when you go to a new country is you exchange to, to get their currency so that you can buy. And the same was true at the temple, that, that people would come from all over the ancient world and all they had was their currency. And so they would, they would come to pay the temple tax, but these money changers go, no, hey, you, you got to pay with, with our currency. And so they were overcharging them. And Jesus sees this. He sees his people being taken advantage of. He, he sees people using this place that was supposed to be a pure offering of worship to make money. And it's this interest. Man, he flips over tables. 
He makes this whip. And I don't want you to think a whip like a cowboy. You know, we think about this leather whip that's going to crack. And it was, it was this, this whip that was made out of reeds. It wasn't this like dangerous whip that Jesus is hurting people with. No, he's just driving home this point. He was angry. He was angry at these people that had missed it. That had made this, this place of prayer, this place of connection to Father's house, something else. And Jesus visibly expresses his anger. And I want us to, to think about this. Jesus was angry in John 2. And, and there are moments where he's angry with us. Man, that, that moment where I, I came back and I looked in my mom's eyes that night at the fair and I saw visible anger. God is angry with us. And that's a scary thought for us. Because God is powerful and we can't see God and, and, and we're like, man, what's God gonna do with that anger? And, and it's why the death of Jesus is so central to everything as followers of Jesus. Do you know that many Muslims don't believe that Jesus was crucified? They don't believe that he ever died and so many Muslims believe that Jesus existed. They believe that, that he's gonna return but they don't believe that he's God. They don't believe that he died and, and for the sins of the world and for us, man, the, the death of Jesus is central for us. You know, the, the, the death of Jesus is, is the, the anger of God over our sin poured out on Jesus which means that, that our sin was dealt with and it's done. So is his anger. You know, if, if we forget and we bypass the death of Jesus, it means that his anger persists. But for us to understand, no, God, God was angry. And you need to feel that. We need to feel that, that, that God was angry, that, that you looked at your watch and you knew that it was 9.55 and you did exactly what you wanted. That angered God's heart. It frustrated God's heart that, that you would be so senseless that you would take advantage, that you would do what you want. And he poured out that anger on Jesus. This is what it means to be a Christian. That you realize what Christ has done for you. Like, what, what it means to be a Christian is that you're a person of faith, that, that you receive what God has revealed, that you receive how much you actually mean to Yahweh, that he gets angry. That's a part of who he is. We realize in the death of Jesus, though, that his anger for us has been set aside feel that in a heart level. The Son of God died for our sin. You know, it, it helps us understand how serious God is about our sin. That he's not like a casual father. Hey, do whatever you want. It's cool. No. It cost him his son. And for us to understand how serious he is about saving us, and us not being people who live in fear of God. That we don't live in this fear that he's just going to strike us. That, 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 we understand when we, that we understand that when we sin, man, that, that he loved us so much that it cost us his son. And I want to talk real quick before we end about just three postures 
that I think that we embrace because of God being slow to anger. And the first posture is our posture towards Yahweh God, that, that, that we live with this posture of thanksgiving, this posture of worship and gratitude. Because the only one who was good among us is the one who died. The only one who was consistent among us is the one who died. I learned that day at the fair. You know, it's the reason it was so impressed on my heart that I hurt my mom, that my sinful choices hurt her. And it's not that I never messed up again. My goodness, I continued to mess up and hurt my mom. But it's in that moment I understood her love for me. And I didn't want to just receive her love. I wanted to love her back. I wanted to be a good son. I wanted to, be, to express my gratitude for all that she had done for me. And, and I go, no one loves you like Jesus. And you can dismiss this. You can pretend like it's not true. You can ignore it. But the reality is that no one has ever died to take your place like Jesus. No one ever will. And when you sin, like still to this day, God is slow to anger. I want us to understand this because it's, a, it, it's tricky because though our sin has been paid for and though God has, his anger has been subsided, the reality is that we still stumble in sin and God is slow to anger, which means that he convicts us. When we sin, it's not that God just like, hey, do whatever you want, Keila. It's cool. Just keep going down the path that you want, Hunter. Bailey, do whatever you want. It's cool. No, the Holy Spirit convicts us because he understands how our choices, our sinful choices hurt us and hurt others. And because our God cares, he convicts us. And he wants us to learn and do better. He wants us to have a high view of our sin, a high view of holiness, but ultimately a high view of him that our, our premier posture is a posture of worship. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you've done for me. Thank you that because of you, I can be right with God, I'm holy. So our first posture is a, a posture towards Yahweh God. The second posture is towards each other as, as brothers and sister. And, and, and for us to have this same posture as our God towards each other, that we would be slow to anger with each other. You know, I love Romans 15. It says, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. Ephesians chapter four, it says, be patient, bear with one another in love. You know, the reality is that, that when we stumble, when we really mess up, like think about a time when you just really messed up. You always love it when, when you receive mercy instead of wrath. Think about it in your own life when, when, when you've hurt somebody else and they came at you with a posture of mercy instead of wrath. And it doesn't mean that, that we just let each other just keep sinning. I remember when I was in high school and I was dating this girl I shouldn't have been dating and my youth pastor comes to me and he sits me down in his office and he's like, Brandon, I know the stuff that you're doing and, and I know how you're living and it's not good for you, and you need to change. And I'm seeing, guys, it's, it, it, it doesn't mean that we just are permissive with each other. That when we, sense, when we see sin in, in people's lives around us that we love, it doesn't mean that we just tolerate it. Mercy isn't passive. But mercy is all about the posture of our hearts. That we remember what it was like when we were immature, and we were weak. And we remember what it was like when people came to us. And so our posture towards each other is one of mercy. 
And here's where I want to end, that our posture towards the world. As followers of Jesus, this is, this is so huge. I mean, it's important that, that we love each other, that our posture towards each other is one of mercy, man. But it is so incredibly important that our posture towards the world is one of mercy. A couple weeks ago, my oldest daughter, Finley, it was her birthday. We let her choose anywhere she wanted to go for lunch, and she chose Taco Bell. I got to teach this girl, you know, how to, like, get, you know, that's another issue for another day. So Jones and I, we're, we're in Taco Bell. We're waiting on our food to be, you know, um, to be brought out. And we're, and we're sitting there waiting. And, and I noticed this lady, and she's in the parking lot. And I think she'd been through the drive-thru or something. She gets out of her car, and she's holding in her hand this, you know, it's, it's, an, it's, a, it's a taco that it's opened up. And you can tell uh, she's letting everybody know she's not happy, like, you know, so she's, she's got this open taco and she's just walking from her car into the restaurant. And I'm like, what is about to unfold here? So she swings open that door and she walks up to this teenage boy who's sitting behind the counter. You know, this teenage boy who, who's, who's wearing a mask and he's, he's working this job and he's working hard and, and, and it's hot in there and it's a Saturday and I doubt that's what he wants to be doing on a Saturday. And, and this, this guy who just in his kindness, this teenage, we're just working hard and this woman walks in the door and she just starts like she looks at him and she says, I said a bean burrito. And I just feel it rising in me. <laughs> and a couple things here. Number one, do we live this way? Like, you, and you have to a- answer this, like, towards the world, like, what does the world see from us? Do they see people who are quick-tempered that you get your order wrong and so you, you, you march in and, and you make this big scene and, 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 you, and you tear into this kid who's three times younger than you and, 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 and I go, man, think about this. Our witness. And for us to really evaluate, go, man, do we actually live out this, this posture to the world that needs it most? Do, do, do we live this way? And the second thing I want us to think about is, is when we see people acting like this, what is our posture? And, and the very first thing that rose up in me, and just for the record, I said nothing, which I'm not proud of that, but I'm, I'm, I'm proud of it because of the way that I wanted to react. What I wanted to do is to, to rise up and to put that woman in her place and to be like, do you even see what you're doing? Like, you know, to, to, to raise my voice and, and to help her see how foolish and how silly and how rude she is. And I go, man, when, when we see people being done wrong in the world, I believe that it is, it's actually our job to intervene. And I wish I would have said something. I'm thankful I didn't because I don't like the way that I would have come at her. But when we see these things being done, man, do, do we come to people with a posture of, of wanting to help correct them or do we want to crush them? You know, when you, when you see, when I saw this woman, I had, I had no desire to really help her, like, you know, understand what she was doing. I just wanted her to feel small. I wanted to put her in her place. I wanted to crush her. And when we see people acting out of line, do we come from a place of, of love or a place of pride? Brothers and sisters, it, it doesn't mean that we accept injustices in our world. It doesn't mean that we just sit back and be silent. No, I, I think when, when we see wrong being done in this world, man, we, we actively work against it. 
we work against racism. We, we work against systemic racism. And we work against human trafficking. And we work against the poor being exploited. And we value every single human life, born or unborn. But here's the thing. We, we don't cry. Our heart cry is not for the exploiters to be condemned. No, our heart cry is for them to repent. For those who are perpetuating the wrong and, and the terrible things in our world, our heart cry is, is that God would wake them up, that God would save them. Our heart cry is not that God would crush them. Our heart cry is for mercy. Why? Because there was a time when God chose to treat us not as our sin deserved. That God chose to come at us with mercy. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31 says, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. I remember back in 2015, Dylan Roof, the shooter in Charleston, walked into a church, killed people. It was racism. It was clear that this is what it was. He expressed that. I remember the days afterwards, the, the family members of people who had lost loved ones, this one guy in particular, him getting up on camera, national television, and saying to Dylan, I forgive you. We love you. Hope you come to know God. And there's something that was right about that. Um, there's something that's so pure about that offering of the heart. Um, where, where, where the world cries, condemn and crucify, and we cry, mercy. We cry, mercy. Because we realize that God is going to return. And that, and that when Christ returns, he is going to crush his enemies. That is a part of the gospel. That, that, that all these people who refuse to repent, who want nothing to do with God, who perpetuate human trafficking and systemic racism and, 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 and useless violence, that people who take advantage of others, should they not repent, they will meet the wrath of the living God and it's going to be a dreadful thing. You know what 2 Peter chapter 3 says? That God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. And I go, man, do, do we want everyone to come to repentance? Or do we just want people who are wrong to, to be dealt with right now? And I go, church, may, may we reflect God. May we be people that, that cry out, God have mercy. May we not want people to face the judgment of God. We've been secure. We're, we're safe. We're, we are right with God and forbid it. God forbid. We'd be callous. We'd be apathetic. Man, when, when we hear things and when we see things, man, we ask the Holy Spirit, help me. Show me how to help. May our heart cry be one of mercy. Here's how I want to end today.
just going to give us a couple minutes. And I want you just to, to honestly just go before the Lord and just say, man, is there any area in my life that I need to repent right now? Is there any place in my life, in my heart, where I need to get right with God? Today, this is the Father's house. There's mercy for you. Man, if, if you've been rude to your spouse, get right with her today. Get right with him. Man, you've been looking at things on your phone you shouldn't be looking at. Get right with God today. You have systems of, uh, of you, have, you have places of, of bitterness in your heart because of, of things that people have done. Get right with God today. So here's what I want to invite you to do. Just, just take a minute. And I want you just to search your own heart. Ask the Holy Spirit, God, is there any place I need to repent? And I'm not trying to make you feel bad because sometimes it's like you're in a great place with God, but I also know the tendency to come into a place like this and for there to be something buried that just needs to come out, needs to be dealt with, and God will free you so I want you to take the next few minutes. Just be really honest. Is there any place that you need to repent? And with someone next to you, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's your spouse, just confess. Bring those things into the light. And so we're going to take communion right now as Skyler's just going to play for us for a few minutes. And I just encourage you, just to get right, just confess your sin, pray for each other, show mercy towards each other. If, if, if you need prayer, I'm going to be in the back. You don't know anybody here, but you want to just share or you need some prayer, I would love to pray with you. And so the next five minutes, we're just going to take this time to let you share, to take communion with the people around you. In about five minutes, Skylar's going to call us back into worship. And so I'm going to pray for us and send us into this. And so, Father, you are slow to anger. It's your disposition towards us pray this morning that we would be people of the light, that as your spirit just shows us places that we can do better, that you would help us to not feel condemnation and, and judgment, that we'd feel, we'd feel grateful, that you want us to live just like you, Jesus. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to, to, to be people of mercy. To the LGBTQ community people who don't vote like us, think like us, to our coworker that gets under our skin, would you help us to be people of mercy? To listen to people. And God, would you let people come to know you? To really know you, Jesus. And so would you stir up just a boldness and a courage in us this week to be your people. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's take a few minutes, take communion, share, get right. If you need to pray, I'll be in the back. I'd love to pray with you.